How's your week, Dave? Good. Good. I'm I'm uh, in DC right now, flying home tonight. Well, good for you. Good for you. It looks like we might be swapping places. Uh, I'm headed over to DC soon myself. Yeah, we like hot bunk or something. <laughs> <laughs> how about how about let's never use that word on the show again? How about that? Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So how how are you uh, settling into the new house? Settling in okay. Settling in okay. Um, but I think I've mentioned on the show before, you know, you move into a new house and you bring all of your old furniture into the house. And the new house, right, it's literally a brand new house, brand new construction. And so we're bringing all of our old furniture in here kind of brings shame on the existing mm-hmm. furniture, right? Um, and none more acutely than the desk uh, that I'm using. Um, I now find myself in dire need of a serious desk and I have found the desk for me. Really? It, I have. It's a thing called the Uplift Desk. It actually came to me recommended by uh, John Dickerson from uh, Slate. Um, mm. And uh, the Uplift is a... Uh, so imagine a kind of conventional desk, but it's got a little uh, uh, set of buttons on the right-hand side. You hit one of the buttons, and the desk will elevate itself. So you can use it as a standing desk. And then you hit another button, and it goes in the desk uh, goes down and becomes a desk you can sit at. Nice. Yeah, pretty cool. So um, I'm excited about it, and they've got it in all different kinds of finishes. And um, anyway, I'm super excited about getting it. Uh, I really can't. I can literally not wait. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So do you, do you, are you the kind of guy that it's like, oh, we're going to stand today or I'm going to sit today? Or, or do you? Do you, or, or do you set it and forget it, or how, how do you I, so I start the day by standing usually um, that's what I do instead of exercise um, <laughs> and, <laughs> so I'll start the day standing and then although I find it I find it easy to do email and writing when I'm standing, I find it extremely difficult to read while I'm standing, um, mm. and so I'll actually retreat to uh, you know a sitting desk or I'll sit in an armchair and read. Um, but if I'm actually like typing and working, I find it easier to stand up. I kind of keeps me more and certainly standing up for things like conference calls. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I'm a huge pacer. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's why I like to just, you know, walk around the house or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I love to do that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think I've run a rut, uh, between my office and the kitchen, uh, and then yes. the deck in the back and then back into the office. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So what's going on with you? What's a uh, so you had an encounter with Lauren's teacher, right? At her yeah, new school. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep. So Lauren started a new high school um, mm-hmm. this this fall, and you know we got a note from the school saying that oh she needs to have a laptop, and I'm like okay, and I'm reading this spe- specifics, mm-hmm. and it's like well it has to be either Windows or Mac or Linux. Oh, very nice. Yeah, and I'm and and so like I'm like ooh nice, and so and my wife's like. Well, you know, you better look into it because you don't want to put her into a situation where, you know, everybody's running Outlook and she's not and she's picked on in mm-hmm. the playground or whatever, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and or, you know, you're using a particular version of Office or whatever. And so it's like, all right. So I reached out to um, uh, the, the uh, technology department chair and mm-hmm. just to say, hey, you know, well, well, is this for real or not? And, and, you know, it's like, hey, I work for Red Hat. I'd love to be able to you know, use Linux and everything. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's, it should be no problem. You know, she's comfortable with Linux and everything. And, and I'm like, well, you know, she actually, you know, she's presented at the Akron Lug. And, uh, and he's like, oh, really? And, and, uh, and, and we were talking, and I said, well, what happens if the, you know, say her laptop or whatever, for one reason or another, melts down or whatever. And we we're talking about, well, you know, they used to have a computer lab that, you know, nobody used the computers anymore, but there are like Macs around that she could use. And then, um, but with the computer lab that they're doing, they're actually, you know, he has all these monitors, all these keyboards and all that. And he's also the computer science teacher uh, in the high school. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to convert that lab into um, a Raspberry Pi lab so he could teach the students uh, Scratch and Python. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine, I'm just like, oh, you know, and I'm, <laughs> It's like, well, I got to tell you, you know, so it's like I, I told him uh, about, you know, Lauren uh, actually presenting on that at the Akron Lug on August 1st. And he was all excited about that. And then he's like, yeah, but does she do robotics? And I'm like, <laughs> well, let me tell you. And, and so, you know, and so it was like, oh, it was, it was such a nice, uh, great call where, um, 
I don't know about you, but you know, you're always worried about well, this is the way the department does things, and it's very rigid. And um, mm-hmm. where they they seem, you know, they even said that uh, you know he said that whenever they tell the teachers what sort of applications they could use, they prefer it to be web based, um, but they also don't want it to just run on Windows or just run on Mac or just run on Mac and Windows. They want it to also run on Linux and and, and elsewhere, um, so that. It's really, uh, really cool that you know that they're pushing this uh, cross-platform thing, which I think encourages kids to not, you know, you, you don't want to get a degree in learning how to run Office. You want right. to learn yeah. how to use a word processor and learn how to write. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the tool should be irrelevant. You should be able to use a diverse set of tools. Mm-hmm. And maybe more to the point, uh, I think it seems like you've just engineered it so that Lauren can skip about four years of uh, computer science in high school. <laughs> yeah, well, or at least that you know, I was telling her about this, and she was all excited, and, and you know, she's actually taking the computer science class this fall, and and in many ways, go, starting a new school, this will be allow her to, you know, that's one less thing for her to have to worry about as much, mm-hmm. um, you know, and she could power up more on the math and and all the other things that, you know, maybe a little bit harder to get a, a running start. Yeah, well, maybe she can get a TA gig. Yeah, yeah, that too. I said if you need help, you know, setting the lab up, and I said, yeah, she's like, she's, uh, uh, she actually, you know, if you want to set that Raspberry Pi lab up, you know, she'd love to help. And in fact, she has a a uh, internship at ThinkBox at Case Western. And he's like, ThinkBox, wow! It's like I'm actually trying to set up a, a ThinkBox like makerspace in the high school. I'm like, you really need to meet Lauren. And so it was it was such a great call. I was I was just I was just. So happy after. <laughs> I'm gonna. Did he ask if Lauren was hiring? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what's what's going on on this episode, Gunner? So much, Dave. So much. Uh, let's see. We've got the worst virus remediation ever. <laughs> kind yes. of really embarrassing government and IT story. Um, turns out the NSA is all up in our phones. We're gonna talk about that. Uh, we got some fashion advice uh, from Dan Walsh. Maintainer of the SLX policy, yeah, yeah. Um, He will be horrified to learn that we're taking his fashion advice. Um, And then for some reason this week, there was a whole bunch of gunner bait. I got super exercised over (laughs) any number of things, and I can't wait to talk about them. Um, So, Dave, if if uh, if people want to also receive fashion advice from uh, from Dan Walsh, where, where should they go for something like that? Uh, they need to go immediately to dgshow.org. So D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. And uh, what, what's on the uh, cutting room floor? Uh, yeah, so if you if you go to dgshow.org, you'll uh, we got a yeah we left a bunch of stuff behind, which is which is a real shame. We get uh, a whole raft of 3D printing links. Um, I learned that a little piece of my childhood is being sold at auction, which is kind yeah. of a bummer. Uh, it's a it's an artifact from uh, the worst sci-fi film that disney ever made hmm. and I'll, I'll leave it as an exercise to the reader to figure out which one that was uh and then we get some links for uh, a new product out there called uh, linux for work groups nice yeah so classic classic all right so dave uh, as we discussed i'm uh i continue to not smoke right uh although you found a a, a smoking rehabilitation remediation tool yes yeah, so it's an anti-smoking cage helmet, um, which um, we, you know, I, I use, it's a finalist for the picture of the week. Uh, but <laughs> we'll, we'll have to we'll have to put it in the in the web page or something one way or another. But it actually uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, 1984, right? The uh, what oh, was it right was with it room, rats? Yeah, room eleven. Yeah. Was it room eleven? Is that what it was? Yeah. I forget. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's this cage that this guy he's trying to quit smoking. He put this this basically like this bird cage kind of thing with a really fine mesh. Uh, over his head, so he could not get a cigarette through to uh, uh, keep his habit going. So, um, yeah. So seems, if, it seems if, excessive. Uh, seems excessive. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, if if it, we'll see if it works. Um, and if the the uh, electronic cigarettes aren't working for you, that's that's an option to try. You have options. And, and I, was, <laughs> I was thinking about you know the, the electronic cigarettes and the skeuomorphism and and the culture behind that and. One thing I wanted to ask you that I thought about is it what if an electronic cigarette looked like an asthma inhaler and would that be more acceptable in public? I 
I, I think it would. I think it would be more acceptable. My only concern would be that if I started using a like a nicotine asthma inhaler uh, kind of device, uh, that uh, muscle men would uh, kick sand in my face at the beach. <laughs> yes. That yes. would be. Um, yeah, that would be that would be disappointing um, and uh, and a bad trade. Like I would rather continue smoking than have uh, muscle bound Joes uh, kicking sand in my face. I think. Yeah, maybe but what me. would happen if it flips around and then all of a sudden that becomes cool? Oh, you know, like all the cool kids are, have asthma inhalers? Yeah. I yeah. Felt, did you ever feel like that? Did you ever did you feel, I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe I, just, I was just in a, uh, an extraordinarily sickly elementary school, but um, I, I knew a number of kids who had asthma inhalers, and I always thought it was like a little bit cool, because like, they had this like device they had to carry around all the time and had some kind of like mystique around it. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it comes with... Um, it comes with a, a what's the word uh, like a badge like a, like you get to carry this fetish around with you right yeah. um, I just thought that was a little bit cool a little yeah bit cool. well and Lauren actually has asthma mm-hmm. and it's and the the nice thing is that I don't think it's uh, that is stigmatized as it used to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know for you know in school and all that it's uh, it's medicine you know just like how you know people have peanut allergies and whatnot it's just like oh it's not as different as it uh, i guess once used to be right 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 um you know what else i realized is a uh, you know going through this uh going through this e-cigarette process uh, uh the house is now littered with these uh tiny ersatz cigarette filters which is uh where the little nicotine cartridges live so like there's six of them on my desk right now and i feel a little bit like uh, tom cruise in a minority report you know his like apartment <laughs> is filled with these you know spent neuro inhalers and so like every time i go to reach a glass of water like three inhalers knock down on the ground anyway um that's well fun. are you using it more i well so what, I, what i'm doing is um using so i'm starting on a patch uh and then if i find that the urge is overwhelming i will use the e-cigarette in order to satisfy the urge so just like a okay. puff or two uh this works for a friend of mine um and so i'm actually trying it and actually it is working out really really well um oh good yeah yeah so you got to, you found some news about AT and T, yep, yeah. So it's like while they're yeah they're they're considering selling your browsing history, location, and more to advertisers. Um, oh, what could go wrong? Yeah, and citing that oh well, hey Sprint and Verizon or who else uh, they they all do that. Um, and so, but anyhow, I I found the article that shows you how to opt out, and there are also links on how to opt out of of the other uh, ones as well if you haven't already. Is this, I wonder if this is also, this is for wireless networks, right? Yes. Um, uh, I think so. So does this, so I wonder if this applies to, first of all, does it apply to like a MiFi connection? Cause that'd be interesting. I wonder if it applies to, um, MNVOs, right? The, uh, like the third party, uh, kind of resellers of mobile service. I wonder if they do the same thing in which case, how do they make sure that they're not selling the same data AT&T's got or Verizon's yeah. got, right? So and how, how they, do you, how do you opt out? You know, yeah. or is it easy to opt out? And, and because AT and T, you know, the the customer is the MNVO and mm-hmm. not you, right? To AT and T. And the third question I have is: uh, Is this restricted just to mobile services? Like, does Time Warner or Comcast do they also resell the same information? And if not, why not? Because that seems like a goldmine for them. Yep. Yeah, I would think so. Hmm. Interesting. So, but the the good news is. Uh, well, there is no good news, I guess. <laughs> I guess the good news is there's an opt-out form, and you can fill it out and, and hope it actually affects some meaningful change in how right. you handle your data, right? Yep. Well, and also, I guess the silver lining, too, is knowing that it's yet another reminder that you, you aren't anonymous and you're being watched and all that. Um, and you know, being anonymous out of the box is very difficult. I wish there was a way to know how... I wish there was a way to know like where all my data was going. Like I think the EU has some rules around like that people are supposed to tell you how they're using your data, right? Mm-hmm. Um we don't have similar laws in the US, but you know, it would be nice to visualize like for instance like how how Prism the Prism program like or the the NSA collection programs like how they are uh what kind of data they're collecting on me and so I can get a sense of uh so I can get a sense of kind of what my exposure is uh, so that I can, you know, maybe make different choices. I wish there was a tool like that. Well, and how, well, and also uh, how they 
do it. You know, I, I think knowing what data you're collecting is one thing, but how they're using it could, they could be using it in ways you may not have imagined. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. and there's and there's the re-identification problem, right? Like, so if I get if uh, if I'm a buyer of something like, so I'm Axiom, and I buy a bunch of data from AT and T, and I buy a bunch of data from TRW or whatever, um, and then I mash it up together, uh, I could get a really interesting picture of you um, that, as an AT and T customer, I wouldn't assume would be available just based on my AT and T information, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. I'm glad I'm not yeah. a privacy expert. Yeah, and well, and <laughs> I'm not sure I could get to sleep. <laughs> yeah, but but you care about this and you think about this, and but there are plenty of people that don't care or think about it. And... Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, what is that? Pandora's box, or like a yep. let's call it Promethean. How about that? That makes me sound yeah. badass. Promethean, yeah. Promethean yeah. privacy it's knowledge. Minority Report. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we saw that, that there's another article that, uh, if you like information visualization, um, MIT uh, did a project that can take metadata and uh, basically build a, a, what is it, a knowledge graph or, or a connection graph of, mm-hmm. of all that. So, you, you know, you could uh, go to the MIT website and provide them your Google authentication credentials and they'll put a picture together for you. Um, or you could use, they put some sample data in there that you could play around with too if you're not comfortable putting your credentials in. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Or you know, like you could you could do the what is it the the authentication um, through um, OAuth or or whatever that is. Oh, okay, okay, all right. So you don't have to give them your actual password. You can just right give them permission to use your okay. All right. Correct. Cool. Yep. Dave, I'm going to give you some news, and I want you to be really afraid. You ready? Yeah, I'm sitting down. The NSA is putting is putting is putting computer code into your telephone. Really? It's it's already happened. Oh They've been gosh. doing it for years. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! I, d- I just burned all my phones. I burned them all. Yep. Because yep. because now they're contaminated. I don't oh trust them. Yeah. yeah. So what what happened? How did how did how could somebody do such a thing? Yeah, so I, I, I read this article in Business Week, and it said that the NSA has some quote-unquote security-enhanced uh, Android patches that they stuck into the Android project. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm certain there are backdoors in there. But uh, yeah, anyway, so the, yeah, the, well, basically, Business Week discovered that uh, the NSA ported SE Linux over to Android and then wrote this entire ridiculous article about it, um, which the only purpose of which was to make me lose my mind. Yeah. Um, just, so one of the quotes from that article, um, the bottom line, the NSA is quietly writing code for Google's Android OS. Google says anyone has the right to do so. Dun, dun, dun. Doesn't Google care about our privacy? Doesn't Google care about our security? Like, come on. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so guess what? It's an open source project, so anyone can contribute to it. And as long as the patches are good and the community likes the patches, the patches get in. And it doesn't matter who wrote them. That's the whole point. Right. And, and even the words that they use, it's buried in Google's latest release. <laughs> I like buried instead of applied or yeah. uh, extremely well documented in the release notes. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and open <laughs> the source is freely available for anybody who pulls in. Totally ridiculous. But you know what's, um, what's ironic about this? I, I, I have a list of about six things, but I'm wondering what you're thinking about. Okay. So, um, so the code is there. Mm-hmm. But it's not turned on by default, <laughs> right? So be super, super afraid of this yeah. code that is turned off inside your phone. <laughs> so, no, but I mean, yeah. So think about this. So, so basically, it's SE Android, but like disabled. So it's like you can imagine now, like Major and Dan are both crying, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. They're, they're yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, and in the show notes, we'll include a link actually to uh, uh, one of the Android. I suppose I don't know whether he was a journalist, like somebody who covers the Android beat, or whether he was somebody actually involved in the Android project. But he had a pretty good takedown of the article, um, and we'll include a link to that. Uh, it's very well reasoned and explains all the. It gives you all of the reasons objectively why you should not be worried about the SE Android patch. Um, I thought it was it was really well done. In fact, I started writing 
I got so incensed, as you can imagine, I started writing a blog post about it. And then in researching for the article, I actually stumbled on this, this article. Like somebody already wrote the article I wanted to write. And so um, we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Super frustrating. Um, so, but speaking of SE Linux, uh, do you know there's SE Linux swag now? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not Red Hat. <laughs> so, yeah. And we didn't do it. Um, yeah. Our good friend, uh, Major, Major Hayden. Uh, uh, we've been talking about this for a while and he finally, just today, released it. Uh, you can get your very own Set and Force One t-shirt. Yep. Um, so Dave, if, uh, for folks who are not RECEs, um, uh, what is Set and Force One? What does that mean? What does that impute? So that that tells you to put um, to turn SE Linux on and have mm-hmm. it in enforcing mode, meaning that not only will it, if you do something bad, will it uh, log it, but it will also block it from happening. Right, right. Um, so it's kind of a cute joke because uh, for years, um, you know, people have been disabling SE Linux with set enforce zero, and so by wearing this T-shirt, set enforce one, you are declaring yourself a uh, an SE Linux partisan and a lover of uh, security and uh, and integrity on your Linux systems. Yep. They, they, um, if you go to the website, um, which is uh, I guess Major Hayden is running it, um, mm-hmm. where you could order your shirt. They even have ladies' cuts too. So it's like, you know, for um, you know. If you, if oh, so Lauren, for, Lauren must have been excited, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, anniversary presents or, you know, things like Valentine's Day, you, you can get ahead <laughs> of that, right? <laughs> so what got, and also a bewildering number of colors, too. Um, right, yeah. I, I was really surprised. There's like a light blue, a dark blue, there's a navy, there's a green, there's asphalt, black, white, etc. Um, I got mine in, in, in a kind of a gray or a, like a dark gray. I think it's asphalt. I think it's the yeah. one I chose. You get yeah. one for every day of the week. That's right. That's right. Um, also, thanks to Major Hayden, we have, uh, we have this tip on the uh, DEF CON hacker conference, uh, mm-hmm. having declared the federal government persona non grata. Right. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't what it wasn't, it wasn't an official ban, but it was one of the organizers did a blog post saying that, oh, they shouldn't go. And what was his reasoning for that? What was the... Um, it, it, I, I think that with, with it, the current climate and all that, it's like, oh, that's not cool, and you, know, you guys shouldn't be allowed to come in. Um, but you know, still, um, in the one article, uh, it was what from Ars Technica, it's, it said that uh, still many more agents prefer to uh, attend under the shadow of anonymity. So right, right. Well, I mean, famously, right at these conferences, you know, the the game, like there's a game you play at the conferences, which is like Spot the Fed, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's always the guy in the uh, the super square haircut uh, with uh, jeans and a t-shirt. You're and like, and that guy. like an earpiece, yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Giving themselves away with the uh, the black suit, the white shirt, sunglasses, <laughs> yeah, sunglasses, right. Um, that's really silly, especially at conferences like DefCon, right, which is basically you know a bunch of like really excellent security researchers, and also like more than a few. It's like a rogues gallery, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not like everyone there is on the up and up. So it's like the idea that the federal government has some kind of like unique monopoly on you know, offensive acts or, uh, you know, or objectionable behavior is kind of ridiculous. And they're the only government. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Are they also going to ban the Mossad? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's just, it's silly. Although, okay. I didn't know. It was good to know that that was just like one organizer's opinion and it wasn't like a formal, like organizational ban. That's, that's no. And then there, there were other researchers that were, in in response to that, it's like, oh, we're pulling out because of the anti-Fed position, which was cool because, you know, it's just basically this, the whole premise of the conference was, you know, all about freedom and openness and, you know, we, mm-hmm. you shouldn't care, you know, good ideas are good ideas no matter who says them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, especially if it's because I think they position DEF CON as like a research conference, right? right. Like kind of co- academic or like quasi-academic. Um, so just banning someone unilaterally like that, just, that would be silly. Um, so, but you know, after, you know, after what, three days, I think there was like a three day media cycle on this. Um, after three days, I guess mission accomplished. Cause now a whole bunch of more people have heard about the DEF CON conference, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that yeah. was it. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave, another news, I, uh, I found out that uh, one of my old computers had a virus on it. So I took it out in the backyard and took a sledgehammer to it. Uh, yeah. Did you get gasoline and 
set it on fire. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because I well, because I don't want the pestilence. I don't want the infection to spread to the other computers. Um, yeah. I read about it. it was it was actually in the instruction manual from the Economic Development Administration. That was a, that's what they recommended. <laughs> so I yeah. Did you wear a hazmat suit? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I got to treat it very very carefully. Uh, wrapped it up in a plastic bag with a little biohazard thing on it and uh, put it in the trash. Um, yeah. So now I'm virus free, which is great. Yeah, is great. but seriously, would. This is a real thing that happened, right? Yeah, I, you know, and you, Dave, you know, I don't like these kind of gotcha, like look how dumb the government is, you know, kind of articles. Uh, but this one is kind of extraordinarily dumb. Um, apparently, the Economic Development Administration found out that they had a virus or a trojan or something on their equipment, so they took one hundred seventy thousand dollars worth of equipment, including the mice and the keyboards, and physically destroyed them because they were infected with malware. Because it spreads, yeah. <laughs> totally. Did they get the mouse pads too? Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, they, they actually they produced a list of uh, what they so mice, keyboards, um, desktops, printers, TVs, cameras, computer mice, and keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, the toner's no good either. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. No, I, so I got an alternate theory about this, and maybe I'm being a little bit uh, generous with the uh, with the Economic Development Administration, but here's my thinking. If they destroy $170,000 worth of equipment and then can write it off, my guess is that they get to go buy new stuff at one hundred seventy. Like they can go buy like $200,000 worth of new equipment. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I mean, so I think this. I think they might have been. At least I'm, I'm saying this as if this was like a plausible explanation. I'm actually like fingers crossed. Like I'm hoping this is what happened. Um, I'm hoping that they like destroyed $200,000 worth of old equipment so they could get $200,000 worth of new equipment. Yeah. It's still amazing. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it says here, uh, they halted destruction. Oh, wait a minute. No. Okay. Halted destruction in August 2012 because the agency had run out of funds to destroy the other $3 million worth of EDA equipment. <laughs> so they need more funding. Yeah, that's right. The equipment. The, yeah. These guys are in a hateful cycle. They need to, they need to, they need to, they need to. They need more funding. They need more funding. They need more funding. Clearly. They, um, you know what the Economic Development Administration needs is more economic development. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, yeah one uh, way to get to DEFCON. <laughs> That's right. And so I've got my 3D glasses, Dave, and I'm ready to watch my BBC shows. Oh. Oh. Um, yeah. You're not going to be doing that for much longer. Oh. Isn't, I was really looking forward to Doctor Who. Yeah. They, they're not going to do that anymore. Well, so it's funny. I read this article, and my first reaction was, "Oh, they're doing that." Yeah, <laughs> like I had no idea they had 3D TV in place in the first place. But it turns out they're they're killing it, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, so, so have you ever seen like a 3D movie outside? Like you go to a theater or have that at home with your TV? Yeah, I, I do, yeah, I, I do not have a 3D TV at home, but I did. <clears throat> I saw the Star Trek movie in 3d yeah. or i was supposed to have seen the star trek movie in 3d but my glasses uh had a manufacturing defect they were uh flipped around uh, oh, no. so that so that the polarization wasn't right and i put them on and uh, anyway it was completely broken the only way i could have seen it actually in 3d with the pair of glasses that i had was would be to like flip the glasses around so that the arms of the glasses were pointed towards the screen wow um so I ended up not watching in 3D. I just took the glasses off and let my brain do the uh, do the you know re-encoding um, and put the image back together for me. Um, oh. I walked out with a headache, but I did enjoy the movie. Yeah. Um, so my overall experience with 3D not that great, not that great. Yeah, to me, I'm so as somebody who did virtual reality in the 90s, like big. Time, oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, and I I worked for SGI, and you know we where I worked we had a cave and the 3D glasses and. For work purposes, that was cool, but I couldn't imagine sitting through a, a, a movie for hours and or watching a sporting event. Like I was at, at Best Buy when we were looking for TVs, and uh, you know they had like the Ohio State game on in 3D, and I, I it was hard for me because especially like watching like a sporting event, the the focus is on a certain part of the field, and if you're not looking at where they're focusing, it's it's not, you know, it, it actually causes eye strain. So, like, if you're looking at, you know, instead of looking at the ball, you're looking at some guy with a, holding a sign in the in the stand at a different distance, it's not going to converge right. So you're going to have eye strain, right. and it's just going to make you sick. 
So I'm, well, and I'm, also, yeah. Oh, well, and also weird because like, wasn't the great innovation of HD TV is that basically everything is in focus? Well, yeah, it's higher resolution, and and mm-hmm. I guess 3D is is uh, to make it you know pop out of the screen, but all that does is just double the bandwidth usually needed. Um, a little and bit, the, and the expense yeah. of producing the thing in the first place, right? Yeah, you got to have the cameras to do it, and um, yep, yep, and uh, yeah, and so I think you know this goes back to where we were it was in episode twenty when we were talking about adding features to avoid commoditization. Uh, whether customers wanted those features or not, right? So, right, right. Because, yeah, because like TVs basically like they can only get so large and like only so cheap, right? And Samsung and uh, Sony and these guys like are probably having a really hard time differentiating themselves, right? Yeah. And so yeah. 3D is a pretty good way of differentiating yourself, presuming 3D is interesting to people, right? As a draw. Yeah, but it um, looks like it wasn't. Well, yeah, so, that's yeah. right. A little bit like the uh, like Windows 8, right? Like how yeah. do you get somebody who's already running Windows to go buy another Windows? Well, you give it a new interface, right? Yeah, they'll new... love it. They'll go flock into it. Yeah, except when they don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. This actually reminds me of um, back in the 30s, uh, Chrysler was uh, competing against Ford. And, of course, Ford had the Model T, right? Um, and over time... Ford had basically saturated the market with Model Ts. So the question becomes, like, how do you sell somebody a car if he's already got a car? Mm-hmm. And Chrysler came up with this idea of creating model years so yep. that the 32 Chrysler is going to be different than the 34 or the 35 Chrysler. Um, something we're really familiar with now, but it wasn't always like that, right? Um, anyway, I, I actually have a talk about this where... where the, I mean, what's really interesting about that is the kind of contortions and the change you have to make to your to your own internal processes, like mm-hmm. buying a 3D uh, camera in order to do 3D shows. You have to actually change the way you produce items. You have to do it more quickly. You have to be a lot more agile than a kind of traditional Model T assembly line um, in order to make a different product every year, right? Because you have to basically like rebuild a factory every year to make a different product. Yep. Um, so I wonder if uh, I wonder if there's a similar kind of effect. Like, I wonder if there's, I wonder if the TV manufacturers right now are looking at ways of more quickly retooling to create different kinds of televisions or maybe different form factors or something like that to, to kind of break them out of this kind of commoditization trap. Yep. Yeah. Be interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess 3D was an attempt at that, but obviously that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So Dave, tell me about a movie like... Yeah, so um, actually I'll tell you about a movie that, that Lauren really likes. Um, we mm-hmm. just saw it on Hulu the other day. It's called Bots High. So like bots is in robots and then high is in high school. And okay. so it's all about um, these uh, high school kids that are on this uh, competitive uh, robotics team. And it's these different teams too where you have um, – and it, and it's not like uh, first Lego League that you know like Lauren was in where it's all constructive and you know it's it's almost like this NASA like we're doing this mission to Mars and it's all you know um, peaceful. This is this is like high. It's basically uh, robot cage fighting. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's that's awesome. And it's like I started watching it and I'm like I don't know if Lauren's gonna like this or not. And she's like Oh my gosh, this is cool. So you see this 120 pound robot being like flung like a frisbee across you know by another robot and just like chopped and you know the circular saw and just buzzing through it and so not only was it the um what what we liked about it was not only the um the the you know the the battle of the robots and everything but it was also the high school dynamic is you know she's going to high school and seeing her you know go into something like this i think she was able to really see herself in that and you know, and you could mm-hmm. see the parts where you know the the geeky boys were spending more time working on helping the girls out on their team than than right. working on their own robot and stuff. And, right. and then I'm just thinking of I'm I'm just worried about the day when Lauren goes through this like rebellious phase and brings home some boy to the house that like likes Emacs and you know it's just not <laughs> you know it's. But anyhow, it's it's an awesome movie, and uh, we'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I don't even I, I think that um, you can even go to the website and watch it for free. Uh, so, but oh, yeah, great. we saw it on uh, Hulu Plus on our TV. It reminds it was me of not a 3D. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of a Survival Research Labs out in San Francisco, um, who 
like they don't stop at 120 pound robots. They have like multi-ton robots who battle each other um, in this like performance art slash engineering exposition. It's awesome. Um, you can go on YouTube and uh, see some of the videos. They've got flamethrowers, um, you know, whirling chainsaws, stuff like that. Um, so anyway, some grist for uh, Lauren's mill um, if she wants to uh, join up uh, Bots High. Nice. Yeah. So I, I got some more gunner bait for you. Oh, goody. Yeah, so this is going to get you all wound up. Um, So (laughs) Google, there's an article about a Google Plus post that some, uh, one of the engineers did uh, at Google saying, he, Google explains why its cloud service is different when it comes to lock-in and why, why, why lock-in is good. So um, let me give you a quote to get you really wound up. Um, So you can't build an innovative platform without some measure of lock-in. Our developers don't want us to dumb down these features to some lowest common denominator. They want us to build more features that can leverage the unique underlying software systems. Oh, man. So the... Okay, so false choice, right? He's, 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 he's set up an argument wherein... Yeah, no, this is a, this is a false choice. So, they, so he's saying that, uh, first of all, it's not possible to innovate that to have an innovative platform without some measure of lock-in, which, by the way, is maybe true, right? Because there's always going to be a certain measure of friction. And if you are innovative, that means that you're changing the rules a little bit. And so you're probably going to introduce some additional friction, right? Because friction doesn't go down until things start commoditizing and becoming more standardized. Okay, he, he hasn't lost me yet. Then he says, our developers don't want us to dumb down these features to some lowest common denominator. Okay, why asking for standards and easy exits means dumbing down features? I'm not sure. That seems like a lack of imagination on his part. Then he says, they want us to build more features that leverage the unique underlying software systems. Okay, that may be true, but why that means lock why that means locking is necessary, like why that means they can't give somebody on Google App Engine a full JEE stack, I don't I I don't understand the argument. It doesn't like it doesn't just logically doesn't make any sense. Um, you can deliver an innovative platform, and you can even deliver unique APIs that are specific to your platform without uh, basically breaking the application for any other platform, right? You got the AppFog guys, you got Cloud Foundry, you got OpenShift. All these guys seem to handle this problem just fine. It's only Google App Engine that seems to have a lack of imagination when it comes to standards. <sighs> okay. All right, I feel better. Yep. Yeah, and, and so in this uh, TechCrunch article, another quote um, is from the author, and he said that, uh, but, the real problem, uh, but the real problem are closed custom APIs that lock customers into a proprietary platform. So it's proprietary APIs locking people in. People on Twitter who responded to the author's question about the same issue pretty much universally agreed that some form of lock-in is inevitable, which mm-hmm. I found to be ironic. People were discussing <laughs> that on Twitter and like, like yeah. APIs and yeah. yeah. Although it's, you know, it, well, and again, like I think the I think what confuses this conversation and also has confused other lock-in conversations is that this idea of lock-in as like a boolean, like something that is turned on or turned off, um, is just not the case, right? Lock-in. When we say lock-in, we're talking about the difficulty of exit from a platform, um, and that mm-hmm. could be cultural, that could be technical, that could be whatever financial. Um, but, you know, there is such a thing as, uh, you know, more or less lock-in. It's not lo- yes lock-in or no lock-in. Um, so to the extent that you can build a platform or use a platform that has less lock-in than an alternative, then that's better for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that uh, uh, this, this kind of absolutist argument of like, well, you can never have no lock-in, so you might as well have a lot of lock-in is just like totally ridiculous. It just doesn't make any sense. But I guess that's why he gets the big bucks. He's got to defend that locked-up platform. Good for him. Yep. So, Dave, what's uh, what's going on this week? Oh, I'm going home. So, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 Looking forward to that. Um, Excellent. I'm actually going to another motorcycle rally this weekend. So. Oh, is that right? Yep, up in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. So, looking forward to that. Oh, fun. Yep. Um, say hello to the canal for me. Yep, yep. Yeah, and the lake. Yep, and then uh, come August, we're going to have uh, Mill OSS. That's coming August 7th and 8th. 
Yeah, yeah. And it looks like I was actually looking at my calendar today. It looks like I might actually be able to attend that this year, which would be great. Oh, good. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I missed it last year, but um, yeah, I, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Um, I think there's almost a thousand people in the Mill OSS list now. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, and this year, so the Mill OSS guys have, you know, there's a national conference and then there are regional conferences like in Charleston and San Diego and, and elsewhere. Um, this, and so the national guys have decided to do this new way of doing the national event, which is, uh, basically hijack our regional event in order mm. to do it. So okay. the, so the Mill OSS on the 7th and 8th, uh, was originally designed to be the Mill OSS meetup for, uh, Spay War Atlantic, uh, mm-hmm. or Spay War Land. Um, and now it's been kind of promoted to be also the national conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of old friends and, uh, and making a bunch of new friends down in Charleston on August 7th and 8th. Nice. Yeah. Should okay. be fun. Yep. And then there's a uh, Drupal for Gov. Uh, yeah. Yep. So that's mm-hmm. August 14th and 15th in DC and, and in DC, which is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, Drupal for Gov is, uh, you know, the Drupal has taken a, the website business by storm, uh, especially in the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, I just heard the CTO of DHS talk about the huge success he's had moving hundreds of websites over to Drupal. Yep. Um, so a lot of momentum behind Drupal. Um, the Drupal project is doing a great job. Uh, and companies like phase two and Acquia, uh, are making a ton of money helping folks get off of uh, proprietary content management systems. So, uh, definitely it's, and it, they're now big enough that they got a two-day conference, uh, so nice. good for them. So, um, yeah, we'll include a link to uh, the Drupal for Gov conference in the uh, in the show notes. Great, cool. So, Dave, you know uh, Adam Clater, right? Of course, yeah, he's yeah. the uh, team lead for our uh, solutions architects and civilian agencies. Mm-hmm. That's right, and and car enthusiast. Yes, absolutely. Things. Um, I think he went to he went to Japan recently on his uh, like on vacation time. Uh, and he visited a car factory or something while he was over there. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, the guy likes cars. That's what I yeah. know about him. Yeah. He likes open source and cars. So he, he actually had an interesting idea up on the, uh, something on the, on the tutors. Um, he, like many of us loves Dropbox. Yep. Um, but what he wants is a much more open Dropbox. Uh, so Dropbox is becoming kind of a de facto standard and, mm-hmm. uh, Adam rightly brings up the point, like, can we please have an open standard for Dropbox interoperability, especially now that Dropbox is making a concerted effort to do things like storing an application's configuration files, right? Mm-hmm. So on my mobile app now I can sync my app data to Dropbox, which is great and super convenient. But if I'm a box.net guy, uh, mm-hmm. or if I'm a spider Oak guy, uh, if I'm using a Dropbox competitor, it becomes a lot less useful, right? Right. Um, so it seems like, the, and he's right, there should be some kind of a universal kind of syncing standard, right? Yep. Um, I don't know. So, so, have, you, have you given any thought to that? Yeah, and, and I think this goes back to what we were saying earlier about differentiation and lock-in. And, you know, obviously Dropbox has no, probably no interest in making it a standard maybe it's it to me it always seems mm-hmm. like the number two competitor is is mm-hmm. the hungrier one that wants to drive standards yeah yeah well because it takes the uh takes the incumbent down a peg right yeah yeah um interesting although it seems like consumers would demand some kind of exit from dropbox right i mean we talk all the time about lock-in in the cloud and like dropbox is a Although it doesn't actually, it's, it's a little bit diabolical, right? Because it doesn't actually feel like lock-in because I got a copy of all this stuff on my hard drive, right? Yep. So if Dropbox disappears tomorrow, it's actually no problem because I got four copies of whatever I've got up on Dropbox yep. uh, sitting on, you know, four different hard drives and four different computers. Um, so I think that it can actually like blunts the problem a little bit, yeah. um, but doesn't solve the reliance of third parties on Dropbox services. Yep. Well, and also too, I, I can imagine as well that if, if the basic Dropbox model of being able to synchronize files and you know cloud backup and all that, that is something that can easily be commoditized, and then it becomes a race to the bottom in terms of price. Because you yes. use something like Red Hat Storage, um, which is very, very inexpensive, and you could host that on, say, like AWS, who keeps dropping their prices. Um, mm-hmm. it, it will just become a race to the bottom. So you, you know, people like Dropbox are going to have to differentiate themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Tricky. 
Very tricky. Um, so Dave, you're going to like this. Um, so uh, you're, you're going to enjoy this. Um, did you know that OpenShift is so easy, even my mother could use it? And you're, this is hyperbole, right? No, this is literally true. OpenShift is so easy, my mother not only can use it, but is using it. Nice. I'm so excited about this. Yeah. So my mother uh, lives in uh, this uh, nightmarish, humid hellscape uh, called the Villages in uh, in Florida. Um, she enjoys it very much. Um, it's a uh, uh, kind of a private community. Sixty five thousand people live in this company run town. Um, I find the whole thing super creepy. Um, it's, it's outside of Orlando. Um, if you've ever been in Florida, you've seen advertisements on television for yeah, the I've, villages. I've seen the commercials, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, I think they're trying to get the retirees to, um, like in Ohio and Pennsylvania to come down to the villages and all that. I've seen Joe Biden yep. sing about it actually. Oh, creepy. Have you, have you seen that? No, I haven't. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll have to dig that up. <laughs> okay. The, well, the internet uh, has a long memory. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so my mother moved to the villages uh, a number of years ago, and uh, she just started a website called uh, The Villages Activities, which is uh, a kind of a single place to go to find out about all the uh, kind of social events that are going on in the villages uh, at a particular day. It's almost like a group calendar. Um, and so she built this thing, and uh, it's running on OpenShift. And I didn't even help her. She just, I, she didn't even ask. She just emailed me after it was up and said, oh, hey, I I'm, I'm started this thing up, and it's running on OpenShift. I said, sweet. Wow. Super cool. Yeah, it's really neat. So do they have, does the villages have like a lug that she can present at? Ooh, that's, um, okay, I'm giving her homework. That's her next thing. She's got to start a uh, an OpenShift user group. And that could be one of the activities at, on the village activities. <laughs> that's right. Long. That's right. And the snake eats its tail. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, which makes it though, what do we call an OpenShift user group? Is it an OSUG? Yeah. OSUG? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. We're going to think about that. All right. Yeah, well, um, and we can have people give us feedback as well. To what, what that's true. Think? Yeah. In the, in the, in the comments on the show, uh, people, please, uh, let us know. First of all, what you think about the website? I'm sure my mother would be happy to get any constructive feedback. Um, but also, uh, if you've got any nominations for what we should call an open shift user group, that would be, uh, that would be great. Um, points for humor, by the way. Um, so, uh, speaking of open shift, uh, one of the, probably I would think most popular applications on OpenShift hosted or OpenShift online is uh, OwnCloud. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and also speaking of Dropbox, right? Um, so OwnCloud is uh, kind of your own Dropbox, I guess is a, is a fair way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just for yucks, I decided to go and play with it. I've been reading about it for a while and I heard good things about it, um, but I had never actually installed it myself. So I decided to go stand it up and see what happens. Um, man, I was surprised. It is actually really far along. Um, this isn't one of those like janky open source projects where like the press is really good, but then you go and like play with it and you can like tell it's not polished. Um, it is super polished. Uh, it's got a really nice ecosystem uh, with a surprising number of kind of plugins, which can give you additional functionality, like um, hooking it up to Dropbox, as an example, mm-hmm. hooking it up to uh, Open Photo, uh, which is an open source project I enjoy uh, that allows you to host your own photos like Flickr style. Um, it's a really, I was really, really impressed. Um, mm-hmm. they, did a, they did a great job. Yeah. So could that address Adam's need for an open standard? Instead of Dropbox? Eh, uh, yes, maybe, maybe. kind of. Um, I suppose it's possible. Uh, I know that um, our good friend Isaac, friend of the show, Isaac Christofferson, um, has been doing a lot of work with OwnCloud, and I think he was actually the one that got OwnCloud onto OpenShift. Uh, mm-hmm. He works for uh, Vizuri, which is an excellent partner of Red Hat's. Uh, and uh, Isaac actually did a whole presentation at Summit on the topic, um, which we should, uh, which we'll include in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, but I, I guess I mention all this first of all to get people taking a look at OwnCloud because uh, I think it's it, it's to say it's a Dropbox replacement is misleading because uh, it doesn't do some things that Dropbox does, but it does do a whole bunch of other things that Dropbox doesn't do. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can host your contacts up there, you can host your calendar up there. Um, but you know, messing around with it actually made me realize like how hard a problem this is, uh, and this is I suspect why people are so willing to outsource a lot of their contact calendar mail file management to things like SharePoint and Exchange mm-hmm. um, is because when you start dealing with people's personal workflows, 
right? If I started imagining, you know, syncing on my calendar to, to own cloud or my calendar or my contacts to, to own cloud, I realized like what a nightmare of dependencies are built up around those problems. Right. Yep. Um, I've probably got eight different tools that rely on, you know, the contacts being in my Google calendar or contacts being in, in Google's contacts list. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the prospect of moving, even if it, even if it was easy, which it is, you know, everybody, everybody more or less understands the V card format. If I was, even if I could export all my stuff into V card format, putting it into a new tool just seems like, man, that seems like a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So, so this idea of lock-in doesn't just exist, um, inside the walls of a particular product, right. Or how that product is put together. Like the idea of lock-in also has a lot to do with, you know, the stickiness of the ecosystem and also the stickiness of your habits and, um, and your workflow, right. Um, that mm-hmm. also creates uh, lock-in and, and prevents clean exits from technologies you don't necessarily like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave, this was kind of fun. We did the show a, a little differently this time, right? Yeah. We'll have to see if anybody could tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so we for for folks listening to the show, here's the colophone of the uh, of the show. Um, usually, Dave and I record these shows straight through. Uh, one take. One take. One take. It's all yeah. one take, right? And we just leave it all on the floor. Um, and, and this one, we decided to play with a little bit and do each segment uh, separately. So we would talk about one topic and then stop the recording um, and kind of get ourselves together and then go record it again. And it was nice, Dave, in some senses, because I felt like I could get to each topic fresh. Um, I think I also definitely missed the kind of momentum yes. we get in the, and it was a lot less conversational, it seemed to, to me. Was that, yes. is that your impression? Yeah, I think so too. It's, um, it was different. Yeah. It's like you, you had a chance to take a sip of water and, and, uh, um, you know, catch your breath and start over, but it's almost like, I don't know if we lost momentum or not, but, uh, yeah, we'll, th- we'll, th- we'll see how it turns out. Yeah. Let us know in the show notes. Um, and, and Dave, if people want to comment on this, uh, on our new recording style, uh, where should they, where should they go to, to let us know, let us know whether they liked it or not. Yeah. They want to go to dgshow.org. That's D's and Dave, G's and Gunner show.org. And, uh, check us out on iTunes. Yep. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Yeah.